he would in his book say that Jesus was worthy of death. The Jews, remember, uh, saw fit that the only way that they could pass a sentence upon Jesus of death was to have him tried in a Roman court. And so there was not only a civil trial, but there had to be an official Roman trial there. And the Jews having their trial, their accusation was Jesus's claim was that he was equal with God and he is God. And uh, that was a <clears throat> true statement that Jesus was not guilty of blasphemy. Uh, Jesus is God. He was God come in the flesh, fully God and fully man. And so uh, standing before Pilate, his accusation was among the Jews that they thought if they could just get the Roman government to see that Jesus had called himself the king of the Jews. Remember, there was only one king, and that was Caesar. And so Pilate says, I find nothing of any fault in the man. He's guilty of nothing that I see. Uh, he tried to wash his hands of the whole ordeal. But remember, he left it up to the people. And as we said, folks cannot sit on the fence when it comes to Jesus. No matter what Pilate did here in washing his hands, he said, well, which one do you want that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus? Remember, Barabbas was both a robber and a murderer. Jesus had committed no sin and was guilty of nothing of his accusers. And he was fully king of the Jews as he answered Pilate here. And so Pilate has put it before the people and the people say, crucify him, crucify him when it comes to what shall I do with this Jesus uh, who is called Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. So we pick up in verse 26 and the reading here of Matthew 27, it says, then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after, they had, after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him, with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. 
He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. We see in this text here, we see one of the viewpoints of the writer of Matthew's gospel, Matthew, here, and we see the other vantage points from the other gospel accounts, and you kind of have to, to get the whole thing. You put them all together and read them. It's, it's wonderful to read them all as they were given. But there were seven cries that went out from the cross. And uh, one year, I can't remember, a few years back, we preached through those seven cries from the cross. And fascinating that Jesus, while he was in agony and while he was dying for our sin, cried out, from the cross and those seven cries are wonderful and we could preach for for weeks upon those but we're going to focus in on the fact of what Jesus suffered for us. You know the Bible tells us that he suffered all of this for us. He suffered so that we could have sins forgiven and keep that in mind that as Jesus was sent away to be scourged and crucified that most people did not endure the beating that came before the crucifixion. Most people died before they were crucified and nailed uh, to that tree. The Romans had devised such a cruel death that, that it is said that they had studied it so much that their capital punishment of that of a crucifixion was the most cruel death anyone could ever die that it brought the whole body and the whole person into such excruciating pain that there's no suffering that could compare to what the Romans had devised as this, the crucifixion. And so the scourging itself would have been uh, wrapping one and tying them to a post and taking what was called a cat of nine tails, which would have had long strips of, of probably leather, which would have had at the ends of it, uh, sharp bones and other sharp pieces of, of, of items of metal that would, when that whip went around and into the flesh of that individual who was wrapped around that post, would literally hook itself, as if you will, into the flesh of that individual. And when the Roman soldier pulled back upon that whip, it would cut and it would deeply sever the flesh, exposing the internal organs of that individual being beaten. This wasn't just a, a little whip where they hit Jesus and, and a few times, you know, 49 times, that was it. 
and he had a few marks on his back. You know, we've, we've all seen the Hollywood movies and nothing could depict, folks, a beating such as this scourging that came from the crucifixion before one was nailed to that tree. And so most folks died. Jesus endured this horrible, horrible beating. Not only did Jesus endure the scourging, the Bible says in verse 27, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall after, remember, his flesh is open, his internal organs are exposed, uh, he is profusely beaten, they take him in to mock him. And the Bible says the whole band of soldiers strip him naked there, exposing Jesus before all of them and put on him a scarlet robe to mock him. They put on this robe of royalty to mock Jesus for claiming to be king of the Jews. Well, he is king of the Jews. And may I remind you that Jesus as king of the Jews here is not only king of the Jews, but he is king of kings and Lord of lords. And he's coming back as our king of kings and Lord of lords one day. And notice that they strip him of his garment, put on this scarlet robe, and then they take a crown of thorns. And they didn't just set it on his head. Studies tell us and and scholars tell us that this crown of thorns that was put upon one's head was crushed down into the skull of the individual. That it was pushed so hard that those thorns went down into the skull of the individual, causing such excruciating pain, and then they're mocking Jesus for claiming to be one who was a king. They put a reed in His right hand. The Bible says that they bow their knee before Him and mock Him, crying out, Hail, King of the Jews! You know, it's not much different than what folks do today. They may not physically be doing that to Jesus, but they mock His name all the time. They curse His name, and in fact, it's ear-piercing to me. Maybe we're so used to hearing it, but it still sends a a shock through my heart when I hear someone vehemently use Jesus' name or the Lord's name in vain. Because I always say, if they're in my vicinity and they can hear me, that's my Savior you're talking about. That's my Lord. He is my God. And you know, here they're mocking Jesus. They're not praising Him. They're not bowing before Him to worship. But think about this, folks. That those soldiers in mocking Jesus for being King of the Jews, not realizing, not understanding fully, like many, that He is the Lord. He's the Savior. That He is going through this for them. He is suffering all of this for their sin. The Bible says they begin to spit upon Him. In verse 30, they take the reed out of Jesus' hand and they begin to, to strike Him on the head with it and cast blows upon His head as if it wasn't enough with the beating that most people died from that our Lord went through. Remember, for us, if it wasn't enough for the mocking of stripping Him naked before these soldiers and, and crushing down on His head with this crown of thorns, putting this reed in His right hand and mocking Him as a king. They begin to spit upon Him, taking the reed and striking Him with it in the head. The Bible says in verse 31, after they had mocked Him, they took the robe off from Him, that's the scarlet robe that they put on Him, and put His own raiment on Him and led Him away to crucify Him. Many times we only think about the cross 
Jesus hanging there, but think about all he went through before the cross for you and I. Think about the suffering that he did this so that we could be free. The ultimate sacrifice of his life's blood. The suffering. He who did no wrong. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, and I always like when folks point out, but didn't Jesus commit sin in his life? Well, I have an answer for that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. I always use the Bible to answer folks when they counter with things like that. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us. As God the Father made His Son, God the Son, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that's speaking about Jesus, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him who knew no sin. Jesus was tempted at all points, the Bible says, yet without sin. Tempted at every point. Here, the Son of God could have called all of heaven down to just remove and obliterate all of these soldiers, but He went through it for you and I, folks. Think about the suffering that He willingly laid down His life for our sin. He had done no wrong. Beaten. Spat upon, stripped of his garments, mocked, had his beard, the Bible says, plucked out. You think about that. I mean, you think about just one hair. Take one hair on your head or take one hair on your face and pull that. Try, folks, grabbing that beard and ripping it out. You say, well, did Jesus really have a beard? How could they pluck a beard out if he didn't have a beard on his face? You think about that. They plucked it out. They pulled his beard off of his face. And the Bible says they lead him away to crucify him. Verse 32 says, As they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. Chosen to bear his cross. And when they came to that place, the place of a skull, Calvary, Golgotha, Bible says they tried to give him this vinegar mingle, mingle with gall and Jesus refused it, would not drink it. And they crucified him. Think about the facts. Sometimes we read that word so lightly, they crucified him. Nailing his hands and his feet. And often when I read that, I can only imagine and hear the sound of the Roman soldiers pounding those nails into Jesus' hands and His feet. The Bible says four wounds. One in each hand. One in His feet, but a spear that went in His side. Four wounds that, by the way, are still a reminder of what our Lord did for us. Because after the resurrection, Thomas, who didn't believe, and we're oftentimes hard on Thomas, but many times we're just like him. Says, Lord, are, are you sure? We doubt like Thomas so many times, but Thomas wanted uh, to see and he wanted to place his hand in the side of Jesus to see if it was really him. He wanted to see some evidence after Jesus was risen. And those marks are still there as evidence that our Lord suffered all this for us. The Bible says at the cross there, when they crucified Jesus, they parted his garments and stripped him. And cast lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them 
and played games and upon my vesture they did cast lots, playing games at the cross. Our Lord and Savior was dying for the sin of the world there. The Bible says, in sitting down, they watched him there. Many began to mock then. The accusation over his head, which is true. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews in verse 37. It was a true accusation. Yes, he is the King of the Jews. Two thieves crucified one on the right and one on the left hand of Jesus, we know that uh, they begin to mock as well, but thank God that one turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and believed that who Jesus was, he had put his faith in. And Jesus said to that one thief, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. One of those seven cries. From the cross, Jesus also remember, and all of this that is going on, cried out that first cry, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Out of a heart of love and a heart of compassion, Jesus and all that was already done to Him before being asphyxiated with His own bodily fluids, the Bible says, and literally, if you will, drowning in your own bodily fluids is what it meant to be crucified. Jesus could cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Thank God that our Savior, out of a love of heart and compassion, willingly hung on that cross. The Bible says many mocked Him there. They passed by, reviled Him, wagging their heads in verse 39 and saying, Thou that destroys the temple and buildest it in three days. That was the prophecy that Christ said. Save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. He could have. But grace and mercy held him there. He willingly stayed there, folks. He wasn't going to come down from that cross. As God, he could have stopped it all right there. But Jesus willingly had set out to do the Father's will and to willingly drink this cup of agonizing death. Why? for the sins that we have committed against God, for the offenses that we have committed. Whenever someone says, oh, I'm a pretty good person, we need to remind them that God says we're not pretty good people. We are filthy and vile and wretched sinners. And God said it took the blood of His dear Son so that we could be given the opportunity to be saved. That opened heaven's door for all those who will come and put faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be saved. But it took the blood of Jesus. It took Christ's death on the cross. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25 tell us of the fact of what it took on that cross to bear our sins, the Bible says, in Jesus' own body. In 1 Peter 2, wonderful words there that remind us about the fact that Jesus in His crucifixion is bearing the sins of the whole world, the Bible says, in His body on that tree. In 1 Peter 2, verse 21, the Bible says this, down to verse 25, For even thereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously." who His own self bare our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. 
For ye were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. The Bible says in verse 24, who his own self, speaking of Christ, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. The beautiful thing is that by Jesus' death, he gave life unto those who would believe in him and trust him as personal Lord and Savior. That most folks, next week we will not leave Jesus as he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Jesus allowed, the Bible says, he gave up his spirit. The Bible says that he willingly gave up the ghost. He laid his life down so that he could take it again. Is that you can't leave him on the cross. You can't leave him in the tomb. The Bible says that our Savior lives forevermore. That by his death, he would give life. He would provide life unto righteousness. And that by those very stripes is the healing that it takes to forgive sin. By his death, our Savior suffered for us. All this he did for us. In our text there, we look at the fact that in Jesus' suffering, and I know we've skipped over the other uh, gospel accounts, but I encourage you this week to sit out and read those accounts as well with the book of Matthew that we've looked at here in chapter 27, is that the Bible says that in verse 45, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias. They didn't understand. Jesus at that moment was experiencing God the Father turning his back on sin because he could not look at Jesus at that point because the sin of the world was upon his son's shoulders. Bearing that sin. Remember, there's no sin allowed into the presence of God. And he paid for sin, the Bible says, once. Some folks are looking for salvation in something else or in someone else today. They're not looking for it in a personal relationship with Jesus, which is, by the way, the, the only way the Bible declares that someone can be saved. They're looking for it in a church. They're looking for it in a building. They're looking for it in another person. Maybe it's a, a family member. They, they think that because mom and dad were Christians that they're okay. They think that because uh, uh, grandma and grandpa and a lot of folks rest on the fact that, hey, my grandma and their granddad were Christians. That makes me okay. No, it's a personal relationship with Jesus, the Bible says. In Hebrews 9 and verse 28, the Bible tells us very explicitly that it is this one sacrifice for sin that paid sin's price eternally, folks. All of the other sacrifices under the Old Testament, there had been multitudes and multitudes and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of sacrifices before, but they could only bring a covering for sin. And every year, there had to be another one. Every day, there had to be multiple ones. But that atonement would never be complete until Jesus offered His own blood. The blood of bulls and goats could have never sufficed God. It was a covering pointing to 
the one who would come in his eternal blood, offer his blood once upon the mercy seat. And that has been taken care of over 2,000 years ago at Calvary. What we're reading about here, which really happened, folks, at Golgotha, the place of a skull where Jesus knew that God the Father turned his back on sin and said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Bible says that he gave up the ghost and died. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. If folks are looking in anything or anyone else for salvation, they'll never find it apart from Jesus Christ. He is the only way to be saved. The Bible says that Jesus declared in John chapter 14, Those wonderful words where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said those words, declaring that He is the only way to relationship with God the Father. He is the one mediator, the Bible says of the New Testament, that through His eternal blood being offered upon the mercy seat in heaven, that there was no other sacrifice needing to be made. Did you notice the passage we read in Matthew 27 that there in the temple where the sacrifices had to be made by the priests daily and once a year on the Day of Atonement, they had to offer the blood and the priest had to offer the blood for himself and for the people. The Bible says that he went in once a year, that that was an annual thing, but that God had rent the veil in twain from the top to the bottom, signifying that there was no need for any other sacrifice because God was sufficed with the sacrifice of His Son once for all. The blood of His Son had been shed for sin. So Jesus declared those words in John 14 and verse 6 to His disciples, I am the way. Folks say, I've got my own way, preacher. I've got my own faith. No, Christian friend, if it's not faith and trust to the Lord Jesus Christ in Him alone, in His death, His burial, and His resurrection, it is not faith that can be rock solid in eternal life that is only found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ alone. It's not the forgiveness of sins that God's talking about here. Because Jesus exclusively said, I am the way. That's not found, folks, in a religion. That's not found in a church building. That's not found in a baptism. That's not found in in water somewhere uh, where folks can even be dipped multiple times. That is found in folks turning their life over to the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, Lord Jesus, I need you to save me. I believe that you died for me. You were buried and you rose from the dead. And I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins that that one sacrifice took care of sin once for all. Jesus on that cross cried out, It is finished. It is finished. Signifying that by that, that folks during Bible times, that when a debt was cleared, it had been paid in full. That's what those words mean. Paid in full. It is finished. When Jesus said it is finished, there's no other sacrifice. Is the one sacrifice of His body and His blood had been given for all. That all folks needed to do now was come and believe and trust in Him alone. It's so simple that even a young child can understand, but so many times that as we grow up and 
Folks, even it seems like now that even teenagers have been brought up with an anti-God mindset. That our young people today and our young adults have been brought up with an anti-God or an agnostic mindset about God. Well, I, I may not call myself an atheist, but if God does exist, no one could really know Him. You know, He's just distant out there somewhere. No, God came to this earth and put Himself in our shoes, yet without sin. He came and took upon, the Bible says, the likeness of sinful flesh, but yet without sin, as we read in those two passages in 2 Corinthians 5.21 and 1 Peter 2. Yet without sin. One difference between us and Jesus is He was fully man and fully God. We are complete sinners and Jesus never touched sin. It took the pure sacrifice of Jesus' blood to be shed so that we could be saved. Washes away all sin. One drop of that blood. Cleansing folks from sin. And the Bible says that as Jesus entered into the heavens, entered into that temple in heaven once with His blood, that was enough, folks. Mark it down. We don't need to look for anything else. We don't need to look for salvation over here. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ. If folks are telling you today, hey, just come to this church or hey, just join this church and you, you'll be okay. You'll be saved. That's a lie of the devil. Because the church doesn't save anybody. Jesus died for the church. That's his own. He shed his blood for the people, not for a building, not for a group. He shed his blood so that people could be saved. That's you this morning. I don't know your heart and life. I don't know where you stand before God. I, don't, I, don't, I can't see into your life and, and say, uh, yeah, I know whether you've trusted Jesus Christ or not. Only you can answer that question. But Jesus completed all that was necessary for you and I to be saved. What have you done with him? Pilate asked a question. And through that question, especially through what God had revealed to Pilate's wife in that dream where she was troubled. She said, have nothing to do with this man. She told her husband, I've been troubled uh, all of the day because of this dream about this man, Jesus. Have nothing to do with him. But Pilate asked the question that we looked at last week. And you and I, as well as every other man, woman, and child, needs to ask that same question. And Pilate was only asking it to try and wipe his hands and wash whitewash the whole ordeal. But Pilate said in verse uh, 22 of chapter 27, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And I'm going to ask you this morning to answer that question. Is what have you done with Jesus, which is called Christ? Have you accepted him? Have you believed Trusted Him as personal Lord and Savior? Because if you have, the Bible says that you're saved. There aren't any strings attached to this. You, you get saved and then you got to do this. You get saved and that's legalism, folks. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If it was something that we could do, folks, we would spend all eternity bragging about it. It is all that Jesus has done for us as we approach this Easter week, the Passion Week. Take some time, if you're saved, to thank God 
We should thank Him every day, but take some time this year to refocus. We've been going through all of this COVID-19 stuff, and it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon. Uh, Folks, we need to be mindful of the fact that there are distractions in this world, even for believers in Jesus Christ, to get us deterred from what God has called us to, is to praise Him and thank Him every day for the gift and sacrifice of His Son, and that Jesus Christ lives forevermore. The Bible says that He is ever interceding on our behalf. Thank God for that if you're saved. If you're not saved this morning, I want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Don't put it in someone or something else because it'll fail you. Jesus will never fail you. He hung there for you and I. When He looked at that crowd and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I believe that Jesus, as He told His disciples, had us in mind as well on that cross. I believe that as God, He saw as He told His disciples, not only that they had believed in Him, but all that would believe in Him as Jesus recounted with them. He was thinking of you and I on that cross. Think about that. Out of a heart of love and compassion, He was providing forgiveness, not only for those His accusers and those who had crucified Him, but for the whole world in which to believe in Him and come that they might be saved. As we close this morning, our Lord has done so much for us. The suffering and agony, we will never be able, I believe, to depict in a picture or in a movie at all this side of heaven. I don't believe they can. I I believe it's totally impossible. I believe Hollywood has prettied up the crucifixion of Jesus so much that we think it's just a little bit of blood trickling off of Jesus. The Bible said that He was so disfigured after the beating and hanging on that cross that you couldn't even make out that He was a man, Psalms tells us in that prophecy. You couldn't even make out that it was a man there. Looked like just a piece of meat hanging there by three nails. And then for His final piercing, the Bible says to make certain for the skeptics that He was really dead, the Romans went up. Then they put that spear in Jesus' side where the blood and the water gushed out, signifying that He was dead before they ever took Him down from that cross. There was no doubt in their mind that when they pulled Jesus off of that cross and He was taken by Joseph of Arimathea to that tomb, that our Savior died, that Jesus died for our sin once for all. Think about what He's done for you. So many times we are so unthankful. We live our lives so carelessly as to even mock and even step upon the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that He made for us. We shouldn't. Thank God there's forgiveness there. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's for the believer. If we confess... If we agree with God about our sin, and as sinners saved by the grace of God, as Christians, as believers, as blood-bought saints, we know that we fail Him daily, folks. It's not that we need to get saved again. The Bible says if we confess, that means we agree with God about our sin right now as a believer. 
Jesus took care on the cross of our sins, past, present, and future. But we need to have a right walk with Him. We need to have fellowship restored. The relationship was there. The fellowship's been ruined. Because many times we trod upon the blood of Jesus Christ. And we make a mockery of that sacrifice. All this, Jesus is saying to us, He did for us. All this He did for us. You put your name there. He did for you out of love for you and I. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for we thank you for the sacrifice that it took, Lord, to pay for sin. A full payment for sin, paid in full. It is finished. No other sacrifice needs to be made. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection which we will, Lord, study in detail next week, Resurrection Sunday, the day which you've set aside for us to worship, us to praise you, us to adore you, Lord. Lord, we do that every day in our hearts, but many times we forget, many times we take lightly the sacrifice of Christ for our sin. Forgive us, we pray. Restore that fellowship, Lord, that we might be able to walk in sweet fellowship with Thee again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we take our hymnals and turn to our hymn of invitation, we're going to turn to hymn 639. If you need Christ this morning, please come.